Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Sophie. I'm the entertainment editor of Stylecaster. Thank you for joining us uh, on this panel for finding your purpose in passion. Um, something that I like to do with everyone that I interview is just get them to introduce themselves. Uh, Liz, Derek, could you just tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. I am Liz De Silva. I am the senior vice president of creative innovation and vision for the brand Loungefly. My name is Derek Baca. I'm the other SVP of creative vision and innovation at Loungefly. Um, one question that I, I love to start with is what gets you up in the morning? What motivates you, you know, from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep? I'll start. Uh, for me, I start the day, even during the pandemic, even when we were home, I start the day uh, picking an outfit, right? I always start with a bag, one of our lounge fly bags, and I build a look from it. And even during the pandemic, I found that like getting up, getting ready, starting the day that way always puts me in a good mood when I go to the office and I'm a part of the brand um, and I show up that way to lead the team. Like I feel good about starting the day that way and including, you know, what we do all day in, in my look. I mean, for me, I've been a nerd my whole life, so I got one of the coolest jobs, I think, in the world just to come and make product for all the things I remember when I was a kid. So every we have so much product or catalogs coming out every month, and so our, our brains, and we're partners in real life too, so just getting that out of the way. We wake up and we'll literally not close the, the conversation from the night before and continue it as we go to the next day. Oh, what about this? I dreamt about this. And we literally do that nonstop. So it never kind of stops for us, even on the weekends. And I imagine um, the passion that you guys have for what you do, that must trickle down throughout the company. So what sort of values do you look for when uh, you know, you're making a new hire or, you know, what, tell me about the culture of Loungefly and how you, how you cultivate that. Um, I think, especially uh, being on the creative side, when we're looking to bring new creatives into the business, there's a couple things that are always like super important. One, as we're creating products for fans, it matters and fans know if the people that are creating the products for them understand that license in those characters. So we look to hire people that um, are fans themselves, are fans of pop culture, are fans of the things that we do. So that's step one. And step two for me as a creative leader is I look for somebody who has a unique point of view, right? I look at a lot of portfolios. I see a lot of people kind of replicating what's out there. And I'm looking for somebody that um, can achieve a variety of looks and can bring something new and different to our team because that's what we're always striving to do, to, to bring, it's kind of reinventing the wheel. What are we gonna do for Mickey Mouse tomorrow that no one else has done? And having artists that have an innovative approach in their own portfolio is something I definitely look for. And, you know, these fandoms are obviously very passionate about what they're passionate about. I think, um, you know, you can always tell when a product comes out or a, something, you can, these fans see through that if you're not authentic about it. Um, and, and they're very vocal about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, when we, when we create product, I think one of the most important things we like to do at Loungefly is make sure we have every little Easter egg and... If you know the property, you're going to look at a lining. Oh, I remember that part from that movie. Or we'll have a little detail of a, a little keychain or, or, or a zipper pull. All those little things that we try to put in there, it, it, the fans, it's about surprise and delight, right? So when you look in it, you, it's like an onion. You want to open it and find even more things that you love. Um, Derek, can you talk to me? I mean, Loungefly encompasses so many different IPs. Um, you know, uh, from various distributors, how do you get them all to work harmoniously under the, the one Loungefly banner? Yeah, well, the, the great thing is that we're owned by a great public company, Funko. And Funko's got pretty much every license under the sun. So it allows us to, to, to really be specific and narrow down which ones we that make sense for Loungefly. Because Loungefly is a nostalgic brand. We like things to live inside people's home for a little bit and then bring that back and reinterpret a little bit different. So when we have an opportunity for a, a license, something that's new or, or old, that we can work with Funko and even Mondo now because they're a part of the family and then be cohesive together on, on some statements, that's a great opportunity. But for us at Loungefly, we pretty much will stick to, you know, 
it's kind of a, a funny thing, but you know you're old when we start saying this is retro and Lounge Fry brings this and they're like, oh my God, Jurassic Park, 30th anniversary. We're that old. Yes. And that's the funny kind of thing. Um, Liz, a lot of these, what I find interesting is that so many of these fandom, these communities um, exist online. How Can you talk to me about how Loungefly um, sort of creates community in out in the real world? Because that's what real world. But out in the physical world, I suppose. Um, yeah, can you talk to a bit about that? Well, I think during uh, the last few years, our community definitely got built up um, via social media, right? And all of these amazing Facebook groups. But since uh, kind of this post-pandemic life, um, we have seen people traveling, coming, whether it's to Disneyland or Universal Studios or Comic-Con, traveling, and they have really created these strong bonds and friendships through brands like Loungefly and Funko. Um, and things that started on social media have translated to in real life relationships that are very meaningful, that are really um, based off of their mutual love of pop culture. Mm. So it's a great thing to see when we're out in the world, like, oh, this is so-and-so, you know, I met them. Uh, on a Loungefly Facebook group, and now we all traveled to San Diego Comic-Con together. And it's, it's really amazing to see how social media is able to, to connect fans um, from all over the world. Yeah. yeah, and I think one of the important things that when Liz and I joined the company about five years ago is that we wanted to focus on our mom and pops, kind of the forgotten tier of distribution, uh, and those little e-com companies, and really build that uh, relationship with them. And when the pandemic happened and all those big box stores kind of closed, they kind of kept things, they kept the lights on and they kept like, you know, interacting. And we were able to introduce them with some of our influencers and really build this community on Facebook. There's, I don't know how many Facebook groups, but we actually interact. Like I will hear, I will look and I will troll and be like, oh, they never see this. And I'll literally, I always put the Roz from Monsters Inc. I'm like, I'm always watching. Like I'll put that in there. Like, oh my gosh, they really do. And that kind of community, because there's a lot of brands out there, but I don't think that you really can connect with the brand because, like, oh, they're just some big corporate company. But we, all of us, from our social team to artists to everyone, we love interacting with the actual community because that's everything for us. Yeah. And, um, and Derek, I mean, well, both of you have a, um, an impressive background in, with uh, pop culture. I, let's call them adjacent brands. Um, what sort of learnings have you brought to Loungefly? Um, yeah. Yeah. For me, I'm a little over 25 years in the business, so I started out as a buyer in the 90s and then was a, a planner. I was a DMM, a, which is a buyer's boss, for like Hot Topic for a number of years. Then I went to an apparel company where I was the head of licensing. So over those 25 years, you see things becoming retro. You see things that work the first time and how you can interpret it the next time. So I think that's invaluable for me because from being on a buyer standpoint and picking, oh, this worked and I remembered that worked. Okay, now all of a sudden it's, it can work again, but this is the way you do it. So that's kind of that tribal knowledge that not everyone has, but I think that's what we both, because we worked at another company before, have been able to take that information because that information is what's key to translate into what's going to work in the future. I think for me, um, all of my career has been in the creative uh, fashion apparel world and previous companies that I worked at were very focused on fast fashion. Um, and coming into Loungefly, that is not what we wanted to bring into the world. We wanted to bring um, more key items that can live in your closet longer, really great quality pieces. Our goal is not to make uh, cheaper uh, wear once and throw away pieces. We really want to give you quality pieces um, for whatever you're a fan of, whether it's a mini backpack, a dress, um, a great hoodie. Uh, I want to bring, you know, pieces that are going to live in your closet a lot longer than, than a throw-on fast fashion piece. So for me, coming from that world, I knew that Loungefly really deserved better, and the Loungefly fans and pop culture fans deserve to have better options in the market. Um, Derek, we have to thank you and say goodbye for your, for your input and welcome our next guest. All right. Thanks um, for having me. <laughs> um, so our next guest, you know her as the voice of Kim Possible. She's also the star of Even Stevens. She's now started her own podcast company, Podco. Please welcome Christy Carlson Romano. Hey, what's up, everybody? 
Hi. Hi, Christy. Welcome. Oh, you know, just call me, beat me over here. (laughs) Cute bag. Obsessed with the bag. (laughs) When it was coming out, I was like DMing you guys. I was like, "Um, I need that in my life. Um, Christy, I want to start with a question that I asked uh, Derek and Liz before, because this panel is about finding your purpose in passion. And I want to know what that passion is for you. So what gets you up in the morning? Oh, wow. I think community. I think like the idea of seeing yourself uh, and sort of serving a community, I think. Um, I think over the years, what I've found community to be for me has changed, especially after becoming a mom. Um, like I, we were laughing backstage cause it's like that kind of question of what gets you up in the morning? My kids, like I'm exhausted and I'd get no sleep ever. Um, but really though, I serve my kids, like everything that I do, even creating a social media, uh, presence has been to create income for myself so that I can have my family. It's not like something I take lightly, but I do serve a greater community there online where it's nostalgic, it's fans, it's a wholesome environment, it's a positive environment. And to be of service to that community is what really truly guides my steps. Mm. Um, A question for both of you. What was the first piece of pop culture iconography that you were ever obsessed with (laughs) easy my little pony castle i'm hunting down one in box if anyone sees one on ebay at a good price i'm trying to replace all the things that brought me joy when i was younger but that was my first like coveted item when my friends came over i was like please come we're playing with the pony castle. This is like the best thing that has ever existed. So that's definitely it for me. Okay. I think Ghostbusters. I was a little bit of a tomboy. Um, I had two older sisters, but my brother and I were sort of grouped together to play together a lot. So I ended up becoming a tomboy and Ghostbusters was like my number one. And then a close second ended up becoming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So <laughs> uh, was there any... Uh character or actor or someone in the industry that you looked up to growing up that is there someone that you've sort of like tried to model your career on whoa model my career can you start I gotta think back I'll I'll start sure um so growing up I was always a creative I was always an artist in school if there was a project I'm like how do I turn this into an art project Uh, When I did science projects, I won the award for uh, presentation, so it was the prettiest. Uh, I didn't like science, but I took what I I liked and I made things beautiful. Um, So when I was growing up, I was a huge, huge Lisa Frank fan. If you don't know who Lisa Frank is, she was like the color and sticker queen of like the early 90s. This is our new Lisa Frank bag. Um, <laughs> a case in point. Yeah. So for me, I saw this adult, right? An adult in the world had a job to create products with rainbows and unicorns and color. And she essentially just created this whole universe um, that she could live in and work in. And I saw someone that was essentially doing like my dream job and I've just been lucky enough as an adult to get to work um, with Lisa and on her brand and and with Disney and Marvel and Star Wars. So um, when I was younger, I definitely liked seeing women in creative roles that made me think like it's actually possible to make a living. My parents maybe disagreed back then, but I knew it was possible to do something that I really loved and make money doing it. Because of her, I think. Yeah, I think it's uh, <clears throat> it's interesting. So in terms of, like, branding, I didn't really think of myself as a brand to, to a fault, honestly. Because I think, like, growing up on Disney Channel and sort of having that Y2K experience, I didn't really lean into it soon enough <laughs> for me to, like, kind of be like, oh, Christy, we know what she is. We know what she does. What I'm kind of known for in the Disney universe is being sort of like Kim Possible, uh, Cadet Kelly, you know, with Jennifer Stone and these like very empowered female characters, um, which isn't, when you think about it, aesthetically a thing. 
and they're and they're three different girls represented in very different ways. And so I've struggled with the idea of what empowerment aesthetically looks like on a female being myself as the muse. And as I've, like I said, as I became a mom and as I've gotten older, I think I can experiment with that um, aesthetic on my social media page. I enjoy it. I have a conversation with it. We live in a very uh, aesthetically driven world these days, especially when you think about, uh, you know, fashion and what we're wearing and what we're posting and all of that is very intermingled. But in Y2K days, I think that was definitely happening without me really understanding it. Now I am very guided by trying to have a conversation with that and, and what feels right for me and how to have fun with it, honestly. But I... But I will say that there were certain people, I think, along the way, like Mary Tyler Moore, I think, was an inspiration for my comedy styles when I was acting. Um, I even liked RuPaul, which is really odd when I was Love a theater RuPaul. kid. You know, like, honestly, I was a big RuPaul fan. I think that's, like, the first time I've ever mentioned this. But RuPaul was amazing and colorful and glamorous and, like, larger than life. And, and there was no political, you know, there was nothing behind that. It was just me very inspired by someone magical so yeah if we were to ask your 10 year old self what they wanted to be when they grew up what would your 10 year old self say uh confident I think that when I was 10 I was super awkward um I didn't you know it was before braces and my body was just sprouting up and I was super tall and really really skinny and just really confused about the entire world around me um, again, really anxious theater kid. And um, I hadn't even started working with Disney until I was about 14. And then even Stevens was in production when I was on my 16th birthday. So for me, um, there was so much of my adolescence that was in limbo um, with what I looked like or what I was doing with myself. So yeah, confidence. Yep. Liz, what about you? Uh, I think for me, I'm like a lucky person, I think, that always kind of had a, a purpose I was driving towards, and that was always to be in the creative world. So I spent every second outside of school drawing, um, in school probably getting in trouble for drawing when I wasn't supposed to be. So I think uh, even before the age of 10, I knew I wanted to be an artist. I thought I was an artist at the time, and I knew I wanted to continue to do that. It's what made me happy. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew, aside from a short period in junior high where I got very into possibly being a meteorologist, I'm not really sure what that was That's about. That's amazing. I know. I was very into <laughs> weather for like a really short period of time, but that passed. I'm glad. And, and we stuck with creative. It's working out, so. That's amazing. <laughs> Are you still into weather, though? Like, do you like, do you get, like, no, a certain... I used, I used to, like, collect rainfall. Like, I lived in uh, Washington, D.C. for a year, and I was coming from California, so there was way more weather there. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, there's, like, storms. This is so nerdy. And I would collect. I had, like, a, a weather... Th- I don't even remember what it was called, but you collected rain, and then you could, like, you know, track the, the weather, and That's it was so very cool. Nerdy. Yeah. I would have hung out with you. <laughs> We would have been friends, for sure. You were cool. (laughs) So, okay, so we've talked about, we've spoken about early passions. When, was there a moment where you realized that I can actually turn this into a career? Did you study? Did you go to college? You know, like, what was that early, yeah, what those early stages like? Um... Yeah, I started researching at a really young age because I had uh, my family, in all fairness, today is very supportive. They're great. But when I was younger, they did not understand. And I think a lot of people don't understand that everything around us is designed from the banners that are hanging, the fonts that are chosen, the chair that we're sitting in. The lighting. Everything, yes. And I don't think that my family really understood that, understood that there's an entire entire job force of creatives that are uh, designing every piece of your life. Um, So I started looking into it very early on. I went to Otis College of Art and Design in Los Angeles. I took out what felt like a million dollars in student loans. 
but I always knew it was possible. I had some great mentors growing up. Um, my fourth grade teacher was um, also an art teacher. She has one of the longest running female owned businesses in my hometown. Wow. She's amazing. She still shows to this day. Um, so she was always there even when my parents were like, are you going to get a secondary degree so you can teach. That was always the thing. In case this doesn't work out. The, the fallback plan. Yeah, you could always teach. And um, I was like, nope, pass on that. Hard pass. Don't need it. Um, and she was always there to say, you're, you're talented. You can do it. Um, so I think my I can really, really do this moment was the first time I saw a T-shirt that I designed in Macy's. Right. Christy, what about you? Because, I mean, you said that you sort of started in the industry at 14 to be so young and did you know that that's what you wanted to do then and and so I actually started my I got my SAG or my union card when I was six and a half wow so yeah I've actually I started in theater though so that's why sort of my like breaking into the uh film and TV was later, I guess, but I had done movies and I had popped up in little places um, when I lived in uh, Connecticut slash New York. So I was more of like an East Coast actor. So like sometimes I laugh because I remember someone who's actually a very prominent voice actor was like, are you really going to take this Disney job, this even Stevens Disney job? Like, do you really want to go down that road or do you want to like stay in New York and be like an angsty indie actor? And I was like, absolutely. I want to work with Disney, right? Like there was no question for me in my heart. And still to this day, I don't regret it at all. Um, but it's, it, it, there were two roads that one could have taken, you know, as a young actor uh, in the East Coast. And so I don't know. I mean, I think uh, for me, when I observe the roads that I've gone down in this career, I don't know. Income-wise, I don't think there's a lot of stability when you're sitting and waiting for the phone to ring as an actor. Um, I think that what I found the most um, exciting about being a part of the entertainment industry now is when I've produced my own content and been able to monetize it through my YouTube and now my podcast company that's just launched that I've created with my husband and I've built up to not having to wait for the phone to ring. And, um, that's really been such an amazing gift. And I'll say that because I put a lot of time and energy into working with Disney, I have the benefit of, you know, working with them to trade off of. And I'm fully aware of that as well. Yeah. Um, Liz, you sort of touched on, uh, mentors, before. Christy, is there someone in the industry that, that you've considered a mentor over the years? Um, that's hard to say. Um, I would say that I've had really good relationships with folks who are executives at Disney and Disney Channel. And um, over time, they've not wor- they don't work there anymore. Some of them have retired and whatnot. Uh, I would say that, you know, I've just been very open to understanding what it looks like to be a business person. Um, and unfortunately, I haven't found one female mentor. Uh, they are hard to come by at times. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I hope to be a mentor to someone at some point, you know, like especially if it's a child actor that's, you know, working at Disney right now and they have questions. Like I've made myself very openly available to chat with, with uh, the next generation of people. That's, well, that's wonderful because it, it would be a very intimidating business to try and break into, I think. Absolutely. I think it's really interesting that you said um, that it's hard to find female mentors sometimes, and I agree. I think sometimes being a, a woman that moves up in, in a corporation or whatever, I experience a lot of um, women that... I learned from, but not in a positive way. I really learned what type of leader I didn't want to be. There was a definite time in my career where I saw a lot of women, um, I think, feeling like they had to act a certain way and be bitchy or whatever it was to, like, succeed. And that's not the case. You don't you don't need to do that. And you can lead with kindness and compassion and still be a strong leader. Yeah. And so I think it's interesting, like, for creatives coming up in the world um, in general to look at taking away from even the people that aren't 
good mentors, but you can take away things that you know you don't want to be, which can be important too. Yeah, and I don't, and actually when we really unpack it, I don't think you need a female mentor because you're female. I think no, I agree with some, of, some of my mentors, I would say that were executives were, were male and it was an appropriate relationship and it was completely fine. It was just those aspects of my business acumen that needed to be understanding my next moves after I was getting out of Even Stevens, whether I was going to go to college or not, what I was going to study, like certain conversations and the time that they have is so priceless that, you know, you have to make use of the time you have and whether that's male or female, I guess it doesn't really matter. Do you have a best piece of advice that you've gained from someone else (laughs) in the industry or outside um, of the industry? I think just like be humble. Um, I think uh, uh, you can still be confident, but be humble. I think like having perspective is really quite vital to the creative process because if you're not rooted in reality, you're not growing from your past mistakes. And if you're kind of unstable, you're not able to gift yourself with a clear head. So, yeah. Liz, some advice? Yes. Uh, I would definitely say working on being a collaborative person. You always, to me, I always want to be somebody that, If somebody hears, oh, you're going to work with Liz on this, it's a positive thing. I want people to think about when they work with me that I'm collaborative, that I am, you know, a kind person but strong and opinionated and I will be honest. Um, So I think it's important to remember that industries are much smaller than you think sometimes and your paths will almost always cross again and people will talk. That person will go and talk to other people. Your reputation does follow you. Um, So, I mean, it's a very simple thing of treat others the way you would want to be treated and just be the type of person that people want to work with. Um, And I think that's so important and it's something that I definitely try to instill in my art directors and the leaders that I uh, help to mentor. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so for someone in the audience who's who's sitting there wondering, you know, I've, I've got this great idea, but I don't know where to begin. Have you got some sort of actionable tips? What might they be able to do when they go home tonight and, you know, they want to start a, a business in creative industries or, you know, what what are some actionable tips? Where Where would you recommend they start? I mean, for me, I think it's, you just have to remember that everybody has to start somewhere. And I think sometimes people get caught up in wanting to start like up the chain or this isn't good enough. I need to, to jump in at this level. And, um, you know, we've had interns that we hire and there's, you, you always have to start somewhere. I know at Loungefly, we, we are very involved in creating career paths and helping people to move through the organization. And a lot of those started at an intern level and when whether you're you know, working at your dream job or not, try and look like six moves ahead at how that job can lead you to where you want to be because everyone starts somewhere. I didn't ever think that this is where I would end up. I thought I was going to illustrate children's books. I'm much happier now. I'm glad I ended up here. And I ended up here because I took a job drawing cute animals for t-shirts, which was not like what I thought I would do. And it ended up amazing. So I think just being open to starting somewhere and and getting, you know, on the path. Progress. (laughs) That's really great. I would say also to um, be very clear on what inspires you. Uh, If you can really, like, hear the muse inside your head, it's something that I don't feel like I did enough of. So in retrospect, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty. But having like a relationship with your higher power or like your muse, your creative, whatever you have to do, whether it's meditation or like a retreat or like just finding inspiration from others around you, um, coming to things like this might jog something in your in your you know in your mind, and you can go back home and journal it. Or just I'm a big fan of lists. I will say, same <laughs> big fan of lists. So at, yeah, I mean actionable. Uh, lists are really great and being, you know, steps ahead because let's, let's face it. It's a very competitive, being a creative is not just about being creative. It's important that you're creative and inspired and know what you want to do, but it's that business part that you really truly do need to try to figure out how you're going to go about your career and what steps you're going to take. And I will say that I was watching something earlier today and it's like, you don't have to know what's coming. You just have to take the next step. But if you're constantly in your head and you're not just doing and going and like, 
you know, and you're stuck in inertia, you're not getting anywhere. So definitely just try to do something. Do something on the first step on your list. Just go for it. And I think something, you know, you mentioned, it's tough. It is tough, right? The creative industry is not all sunshine and rainbows. I try to make it, but it's not always. Literally, yes. sunshine <laughs> on your bag. <laughs> um, but be open to constructive criticism. Know that people, leaders are, are trying to help make products better. You're making things for an audience, right? Whether you're acting, whether you're doing a podcast, whether you're creating products, you're doing that for an audience beyond yourself and taking um, taking feedback and being able to process that and um, put it towards making whatever you're doing better is a really important skill because some people struggle with constructive criticism and feedback, but it's helpful and you need it and you need to be open to um, hearing that and working with people to to be the best version of you that you can be. Yeah, don't take things personally. Yeah, it's yeah. That's important. <laughs> yeah, that's very hard. I struggle with that for sure, especially with social media and you see all the comments and, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get a real thick skin after like, I think this is like my fifth year on social media um, and, and starting to understand what's actually productive. Like sometimes there's actual constructive criticism that comes through in the comments and you can take that and you can use it. But otherwise, transactionally speaking, if it's not helping you, then it's all just noise. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with that. Um, have either of you experienced a career setback or, or things maybe didn't go as planned and how did you use that as a learning experience? Because I've, in my experience, um, you know, I have found sometimes the moments that I feel stuck are actually that, you know, kick in the tail that I need to really think about what I'm passionate about. Um, so can you t- sort of talk to career setbacks um, and, and how you learn from them? Because I think it's really important to to learn from those moments as much as, you know. Um, yeah, I definitely have one that maybe some people can relate to. Um, in my first year in the creative world, I was struggling to pay my rent along with very high student loan payments. So I know a lot of people struggle with student loans and I was not confident enough in what I was bringing to the company I was working at to go and tell them I need more money just to survive to be able to work here. So instead, I went and interviewed for another job that I didn't really want. I really enjoyed the job that I had. Um, I went and interviewed and got a job and got the money I needed to do all the things I needed to do. And then I quit the job that I loved. And they, in turn, were amazing to me and said, we value you we will do this and a little more. We want you to stay here. And I just wish I would have like believed in myself to even just go have that conversation from the beginning because I think they valued me more than I saw my value as. And from that day on, I like really never questioned that again. But I think there's, um, there's something to just having open conversations and knowing your worth at a company because you're bringing something to that brand or to to that show or whatever it is. Um, so I think that's really important. To I definitely had that misstep and learned from it. Well, like if you're not taking things personally, uh, the worst that they, they could say is no. Yeah. Exactly. So you don't have to worry about being hurt by them saying no. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've learned con- constantly. Um, I've had tons of setbacks, mostly... Uh, self-induced setbacks, I'd say. I mean, in time that, you know, I went to college instead of staying in Hollywood after even Stevens wrapped. And um, who knows, you know, like I said, many roads that you can go down as a creative. Um, And if you get stuck in the hindsight of it all, and if you get stuck in like, okay, I could have had this person's career, that person's career. That's that's not healthy. It's I've never been a proponent of that. I may remark on it, and sometimes I do YouTube videos talking about my past. But ultimately, again, uh, if you don't find value from those experiences, then it's just taking from you. So um, <clears throat> creatively, I really try to extract value from my past. I'd say most directly in either talking about it or um, most recently, I'd say about a year ago, I started doing um, one of my podcasts because I have 
three, four, <laughs> that I'm like co-hosting or hosting. One is called Vulnerable, and it's like a mental health-focused podcast where I interview a lot of child actors and other folks that have had really interesting um, mental health journeys. <clears throat> and it is really fascinating to kind of utilize anything that I may have learned from into conversations that then may serve that community that is my fan base, right? Which is in turn, those engagement numbers equal dollars. So it's all sort of one big creative circle. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, we talked about social media being a creative in this day and age is very challenging. Social media has democratized a lot of industries. Um, so it can be a lot harder to cut through the noise. Do you have any advice there on terms of like how do you make yourself stand out I feel like you'll have more advice than are you sure because you guys stand out like non-stop like I'm a fan I'm actually a really big fan of lounge of fly so I was really tickled that I got to be here today and um, I just love everything lounge of fly has done I mean in terms of what I think is trending right now is this like sort of authenticity um, you know the almost going back to tumblr right now, where it's like almost the opposite of everything completely curated. Although we all know that everything is curated, like even the things that seem accidental, it's going to just, it's going to just be something that you can't really know is curated. And so at the end of the day, I think you need to present yourself the way that you feel is the most authentic to you. And like, yeah, there are trends and you can experiment with certain things that feel intersectional to what you want to, you know, be. But like, that's why I love watching Loungefly because Loungefly is so nostalgic. But we were talking about this backstage. They play with the, 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 just the bags and everything that you guys do. Somehow you make it fresh and new. So in Hollywood, they say same, same, but different. And that's what you've got to figure out is how do you do the same, same, but different model that works for your aesthetic, your narrative and who you are, you know, and it's an ongoing conversation. Yeah. And to that point, I think you are 100 percent correct. It's really important to be aware of trends, but yeah. not let everything be dictated by trends. There's certain things that make sense for a brand that Loungefly can like organically lean into, but then there's also things that we just want to create and start trends and do things that feel authentic to the brands that we work with. So important to be aware of trends, but then also be picky in what you choose to take part in. Yeah, taste. You guys are really tastemakers, though. So sometimes I wonder. I'm like, what? What would you like say no? You know, to. I mean, I think there's certain, I personally, you know, I have a take on everything, right? If like somebody presents a creative challenge, there's, there's always a way to do it. But I think Loungefly as a brand has a look and a feel and a fan base. And there's certain things that make sense more than others. Not that we would necessarily say no to something, but it has to make sense for the brand. And we have a, a leadership team and it's not just like me making a decision. We have an amazing marketing team. We have sales. We have everyone that kind of weighs in on what we want to be to the world. Cause you can't be everything, but we're a lot. And we all weigh in on what we think feels right for the brand and our customers. I see. Okay. So this is actually really interesting because we just kind of launched our podcast company, Podco. Go follow us, please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we have fans. Um, and, 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 and what we're doing is we're building out employees because it's like literally just mom and pop, me and my husband. And so it's like we're dying. We're so overwhelmed. And there's so many amazing opportunities that we're having. We have more and more podcasts happening. That's amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> but at the same time, you're right. I feel like it, 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 you need leadership teams or you need to pretend like you're a part of your own leadership team. And then you need to collectively weigh in on what your leadership team, even if it's you wearing different, like physically putting on different hats and saying, what would my marketing you know, executives say about this? And then like yeah. weighing in on all of those things before you then create your brand. It's exactly. not as simple as you think. And I, w I was going sort of to add to that. I think knowing what your limitations are as a person as well is really important when you're starting out because it's, you know, when you're starting a business, it's like maybe I'm not great with numbers. I need to outsource that. 
Yes. So, yeah. Yes, that's important. Yeah. Because once you go out, I mean, granted, you can always scale up. Eventually, you can grow your fan base or you can grow your socials over time. You truly are a person that's in charge, right? Like, as the creative, whether your, your sales can convert better if you employ certain campaign strategies or you're collaborating with certain influencers. Like, all of that can really probably convert to sales or bring awareness based on what you're trying to do at any given time. But I will say that you want to try to hit the ground running, you know, like don't exhaust your resources, really like decide, okay, this is the, um, I'm going to be a creative that's existing on, um, on digital platforms and I'm going to really go for it. And I think just even sitting and attending this is a step in that right direction. It's like you committing to that process and, uh, you know, collectively getting inspiration. Yeah, you always wear a lot of hats in the beginning. Um, Loungefly as a brand has grown significantly in the last four or five years, and we all wore many hats, but it's amazing when you get key people in those roles that really know and understand those roles, how much the brand can evolve and grow when you get those those key owners of the different parts of the business and you don't have one person trying to do four different jobs. You have four people that are doing it amazing and can really put the time and energy in. In the long run, you'll see that change in the brand um, when you are able to grow and have focused people. It's like about focus. You can only do so much as one person. That's what I'm going through right now. Thank you. Good luck. Yeah, it's <laughs> Uh, Christy, I do want to talk more about Podco. Can you tell me wh- where this idea came from and, um, you know, when did you sort of decide that it was something you were going to pursue? There's literally bagpipes, like, <laughs> wailing right now. I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but it sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> Is it like Ireland over there? I felt like it's like Epcot in here. I, when I walked in, there was like Italy, and then there was like Germany, and I was like, cool, man. Um Anyway, I'll try to, if you could hear. Podco. Podco is um, a really wonderful thing. Um, my husband uh, and I have been doing social media uh, for, like I said, five years. Uh, we started with YouTube uh, producing a cooking show called Christie's Kitchen Throwback in our kitchen in California before we moved here to Austin two and a half years ago. And we um, pivoted (laughs) to uh, doing some other types of YouTube videos on my YouTube. And then we we started falling in love, well, he did, with podcasts. Um, He was coming home and like, hey, I listened to this podcast today. I listened to that podcast. And slowly but surely, he's like, I think there's business uh, to be done with podcasts. And YouTube's algorithm is so janky sometimes that your videos aren't served unless they're uh, hitting at a certain time in a certain way. And so people who are your fans aren't even seeing your content. And you're a slave to the algorithm um, when it comes to YouTube in particular. And um, so, yeah, I think that that being tumultuous, we were like, well, what 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 are we interested in? What's authentic to you know, obviously my fan base and um, uh, how do we, what do we do? So a lot of times my husband and I will sit either in like our car and we'll drive around and we'll try to just speak to each other away from our two toddlers and try to get a quiet moment. And we brainstorm really well together in this way. And also I think because I am in the nostalgia niche, I have a very like, I have, there's a guideline for me, right? Like I, I, I can sort of let that lead me into the kinds of content that I want to make. And um, I appreciate that. I'm respectful of those, that, that boundary line, if you want to call it that. And I also really love that we're talking about body positivity these days. Mental health is completely like normal to talk about and encourage. So there's a lot of really great conversations being had. And so for me, I wanted to start to be more directly involved with those conversations. And that's what led to just this first Okay, this first vulnerable podcast that I had. So long story short, you guys are so patient with me, but um, basically we decided we wanted to do rewatch podcasts. And so there's big business in rewatch podcasts. And we acquired through our friendships that were sort of created with my collaborations and the folks that would come on my either my cooking show 
or you know, just in general collaborators that I had through YouTube, they were people that may know me, but I didn't necessarily work with them. So like Jennifer Stone from Wizards of Waverly Place and uh, David DeLuise are now co-hosting the Wizards of Waverly Pod. That's one of our best performing podcasts that we have that we just had Selena Gomez on. And obviously that did really big numbers and we were able to stack the deck with that and get sponsorship deals based on her, you know, posting on her grid. When we all know Selena Gomez has been really busy lately dealing with lots of things on social media, she literally posted on her grid that she was a part of our podcast network. And I mean, that was like, talk about angel investment. Like there, I mean, first of all, what an amazing girl to do that for us. And we are, we are team Selena all the way nowadays. (laughs) Um, But it was like, that's that angel investment of influence that you truly cannot get. So like, as it pertains to me and, and, and launching Podco, I really just looking for like minds. So like, for example, I will not say this person's name, but here's some tea. Um, there was a person that we were interviewing to tr- potentially be a part of uh, Podco, and they had the biggest uh, sort of ego and the biggest um, considerations. And because of that, that and the person that was representing them, we were like, we can't work with people who don't get it from the ground floor up. Yeah. If you're going to bring that energy to me, I can't deal with that. Life's too short. And um, I've, I've literally been building this for years. So you're not going to get in the way of that. So I know now what my boundaries look like. And even if it's another person that's an actor or, a, you know, whoever, it's, it's, you got you to gotta come correct. That's how I feel about that. Yeah, I, I think set, knowing and setting your boundaries is a, is a huge thing that, um, you know, I think especially in the pre-pandemic days, overworked, you know, overworked, burnt out, all that kind of thing. I think, um, well, hopefully the pandemic has sort of helped us establish those professional boundaries a bit more, but also personal boundaries in terms of what you will and won't sacrifice for your career. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. But in, in, in terms of the boundaries, it's not even so much the boundary of, uh, you know, time, time. And cause I understand yeah. that that person probably has their boundaries and, sure. and they, they have a notion of what they need, uh, to come to the, to, to the plate. It's more energetically, it's yeah. more that synergy. Mm-hmm. And like, we really only want to work with people who understand where we're trying to grow to. And I think, I'm sure you guys can probably understand from from Loungerfly scaling so fast, so quickly, that you really only want people who are supportive at those beginning stages. Yeah, 100%. And just talking about the pandemic, I think what it did do in terms of like work-life balance, it around in an around the way way showed corporations that there are different ways to work, right? It was yeah, like a, a, a bright light during a dark time where you can show, hey, we are doing something in a different way, but it's working. Like I learned that our creative team was extremely productive working from home. They're in a quiet space that they thrive in. So there was like a lot of learnings and proof that you don't have to do this standard way of working that we've always done for so long, that there's other ways to look at productivity for a company and a brand, which I thought was invaluable during the pandemic and a great takeaway for me as a creative leader to understand how and when my team thrives. And everyone's different. 100%. Um, Christy, you uh, have been a a real open book on social media, especially with your YouTube channel. Um, I want to know why transparency is so important to you. I mean, I think transparency has been my superpower um, because, uh, you know, I've been sober since I was pregnant with my first daughter, and that's just part of what it means to be sober, you know, is, is, is having sort of a very, um, open dialogue with yourself. And so, uh, there's a market for that. Um, and, uh, I've been really quiet for a really long time. Uh, and I think that coincides with me not existing online and not understanding my fan base or not engaging with them directly. I think part of being a millennial is like, you know, we, we grew up, literally playing Oregon Trail or like, you know, like we, we, we still know what it's like to like have dial up. And, um, and so for me, I was just before, you know, high school musical was when Twitter was really launching. And I remember like Ashley Tisdale was the first to have like a million followers on Twitter. And it was like, 
it was, I was, I was seeing this in the back of my mind while I was going to college. And then I was sort of just like in LA struggling, trying to find my next steps as an actor. And for a while, I just didn't understand the value of social media. I had, again, I didn't understand branding and I didn't understand what social media could be. I really, truly didn't. And it's really an age thing. And so now I'm making up for lost time. And, you know, anything that you can to get yourself an edge, I only share what I want to share. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, again, there's boundaries. And energetically, I'm trying to find people who understand what I'm trying to... I'm trying to build a community. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm building a, a community each post that I do. And, again, everything that I do is is curated or it, or it gets taken off. <laughs> how did you learn how to navigate social media? Was it just trial and error or, you know, did you yeah. seek advice from someone else? Um, we've had some people that were really great to us in the beginning, like Chloe Mays was really great from YouTube. Uh, actually, she worked with Studio 71, who now still reps us, and Chloe's not there. People move around a lot in the digital spaces and, and in the tech world. Everyone's hopping over even more than, like, in the entertainment industry. Like, um, it's, it's it, and so we, we've, you know, there were some people who were fans of mine that grew up with me who are now in their, like, you know, early 30s. But in the early 30s, when you work at YouTube, you're, like, old. So, like, we were able to get a lot of, um, uh, you know, people helping me because they understood who I was. Um, I think I found that over time some people either know who I am or they don't. And it's totally cool. Like if, you know, if you're, you know, even Gen Z, some of them do and don't, and that's fine too. But like, I know very specifically who my, who my demographic is and my relationship with them is ongoing. Yeah. I have to tell you very quickly, the whole time you've been talking now in my head, I've been designing an Oregon trail bag. I'm like, <laughs> do we need this? What would it look like? It's yes. stuck in my head now. It's got a broken axle. <laughs> it definitely has someone dying of diphtheria or whatever that was. Or a snake bite. <laughs> yes, it's got a snake. That's amazing. I love that. It's all idea. was stuck in my head after you said that. I'm like, what would that look like? Right? Absolutely. Lenticular for It'd sure. Be like the the green like the green thing flashing, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's an that's an interesting point. Um Liz, you know, you've obviously just proven that inspiration can come at anywhere, anytime. <laughs> do you have, like, how, where do you store these ideas? Do you have a notebook next to your bed where, you know, if you have a dream about something, you quickly write it down before you forget it? How does that work for you? I should do that more often because a lot of times we're driving and we think of something and then we forget. Um, no, but I have notes everywhere. So I carry a notebook. I have a list in my phone where we're just jotting things down. I take pictures. I screenshot things. I feel like when you're creative, uh, you're just your mind is always looking at the world in a different way. You're yeah. looking at things, and you're you know I look over and I'm like, oh, that color palette on that drive-through sign is beautiful. Like you just yeah. see um, potential in everything. So. I'm taking notes. I have post-it notes everywhere. My team knows. I sketch on post-it notes, and I take pictures and send it to them on Teams. Um, I'm all over the place. So, yes, I'm always writing down. Thank goodness for cell phones because I take pictures at all times of things and then usually forget why I took that picture, but it'll it'll come back to me. That's so cool. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, I think I have, like, 65,000 photos in my phone right now. That's awesome. Either of my dog, my outfits, or ideas. I have a lot of screenshots. <laughs> Same. Oh, man, I screenshot everything. It's bad. <laughs> and then I have to go through the screenshots, and I give them albums to, like, you know, photo inspiration or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of screenshots. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> Christy, what about you? I mean, obviously, you take screenshots, but is there, a, do you have a sort of like a um, another, you know, do you carry notebooks around? What, you know? Yeah. Does, I mean, when, I've been trying to take notes for a memoir for a while, and um, it's been exhausting, um, and, but it's great, and it's it's useful, and uh, the, notes, the notes app on everyone's iPhones can be very helpful for this. Uh, and again, I think, I think, um, when it comes to visual stuff, screenshots are good. It's just the problem is, is that you have to, as a creative, one of the problems is, is that you want to experience things, but you never want to go back to reconcile all the things that you like were experiencing. That's so it's so like true. pen to paper. Great. 
but it's also hard to get to that place. Yeah. So you have to set time aside to not just be creative. You have to also be administrative. Absolutely. Um, it just it brings to mind a, um, a quote that I heard. Uh, Grace Coddington, creative director of Vogue, once said, and she was like, when she's like traveling, she's not on her phone in the car. She's just observing because you never know what you might see that might, you know, ignite something in your brain. Maybe it doesn't lead to anything, but, you know, I think being observant and, you know, getting off this thing every now and then is really important. Sadly, I feel like my observation has to be on that thing. And it's sad. Like, I can't pull um, inspiration from nature. It really stinks. (laughs) Maybe I should. Maybe I should try to be more natural. But, I mean, I'm really tied into what's going on at any given time. Right. I think you have a point, though. I mean, we as a team were walking through Austin the other night. We were walking to dinner, um, and we could have all been on Teams answering emails, um, but we were looking around, enjoying Austin, and we stumbled upon the Texas Toy Museum. Have you guys been there? It's amazing. We did a, yeah, we did a, a team uh, scavenger hunt in their toy museum where you go through so and you find all these different toys. Um, there's some licenses in there that we work on that we already had. We got some ideas from inside the museum, some things that we wanted to work on. Um, and we had no plans of going there. We went to dinner and we're like, we got to go back to that place. And we went and got some inspiration. And I think that is to your point of when, whenever we're in a new space, just being open to not always following the schedule, being open to things falling in your lap and, and opportunities to experience something new. Actually, you got a point. So topically, like if I'm trying to turn an angle of, so like there's various sides of, wow, I'm really going into it today. Um, There's various sides of like what I might talk to about, like to my audience. So like partly I'm a mom, right? So that's like mom life. And that's got a whole moms of TikTok thing. So that's like part of your brand. And then like, you know, the nostalgia thing is part of your brand. Um, there's, there's various parts of you that topically I think you can try to stay attuned to, like what's happening. So if I'm talking about something with my husband or, you know, it's something that is in life or there's a joke uh, about, you know, my, you know, the husband never takes care of the kids and that's kind of funny. Or is that politically, like, what's my stance on that? So, like, yeah, I do think that from your life, you have to be living your life enough to know topically what you can bring in to keep your brand fresh and, like, aware. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think something that um, ties both of you together um, is that is that topic of nostalgia. Can you talk about what that word means to you and how it makes you feel? Yes, for sure. Um, so I think working at Loungefly is a dream for me because I love nostalgia. I love the fact that products can take you back to a happier place. I was uh, chatting with someone the other day and we were talking about this, that the world right now is not always the happiest place. And the fact that we are all constantly connected to that bad news, right? I mean, I follow ABC News on Instagram and it's horrible. They very rarely ever tell me anything good that's happening. It's always horrible. Um, So the fact that I get to work on a brand whose sole purpose is to design things to bring joy from that feeling of nostalgia and and helps take people back to a moment where you didn't have a mortgage to pay and you didn't have all these stressors of being an adult. And it allows you to have these like small pleasures and joys as an adult, whether you're at the office and and you look over and you have your mini backpack or the clothes that you're wearing. It's just a fun break from being an adult to me and being able to connect with those childhood memories and characters, not even childhood, just characters that bring you joy. And it's 100% okay that the characters that brought you joy when you were 10 bring you just as much, if not more joy now. Great. Let's be happy about some things. There's enough stuff to be to be worried about and to stress about, be happy, wear your, wear your fandom, enjoy it, and, and have that moment throughout the day where you aren't worrying about 10 million things. Love that. <laughs> I mean, literally, like, I purchased several Lounge of Fly uh, backpacks recently um, it, for my girls because they love Little Mermaid, one loves Ursula, 
and in her villain era, and then one loves Ariel, and they both have their backpacks, and one lights up with fireworks, and the other one is super cool with the tentacles coming out of the bag. Like, Loungefly is They have it. good taste. Those Thank are good you. ones. I think Those so. are good yeah. ones. They picked them out. <laughs> they did. And, um, and, yeah, it's just, it is, I'm a big Disney adult, big Disney adult, which actually is kind of interesting. Um, that I am a Disney adult um, uh, because nostalgia for me is um, it's three dimensional. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, like I said, there's a, people talking a lot about uh, mental health and childhood trauma and stuff like that. And I do think that over time I have a sort of deeper understanding of what all that means to me and my brand. But ultimately I, 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 I have a really I'm very grateful. I have a good life. I have a great husband. I have healthy children. And there's so much privilege that I have that there's nothing for me to truly, like, you know, dwell about. And if I have conversations or if I do videos that talk about certain topics, know that I'm okay. You know what I mean? Like, know that I am grateful and I'm in the present moment. <laughs> and that's it. That's time. A very <laughs> subtle way to tell us. We're done. Wrap it up, guys. <laughs> um, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have to wrap it up there. Christy Carlson Romano, Liz De Silva, thank you so much. This has been really enlightening, so appreciate it. Cool. Thank I hope you, you guys liked uh, what we had to say. <laughs>